0: i decided to speak on heaven today. Been on this topic a little while. Now, on the one hand, I intend to exhaust this topic as much as we can. It's a wonderful place to learn about, and we have the information in God's Word, and, and we're going to dig it out. On the other hand, I don't want to exhaust you with the topic. Uh, but I do want to excite you with it. And that's, uh, that's a benefit we have of of working through God's Word. We, I just give you the biblical evidences that we have for what we know, for what we believe. If somebody should ask you, why do you believe that? Can you show them where in God's Word it says what you believe? That's what we're doing here. We're, we're trying to understand that the truth that we have about heaven is based on God's truth. It's right here in His Word. And we're going to work our way through that. So that we're not speculating. We're not imagining. We're not going by experiences of other people. We're hearing it from the Word. And not from the world. That's important to us. Because we're Bible people, right? So we support what we learn from the Bible. And Bible people ought to have their eyes riveted on things above. Scripture tells us that. It says that we are to keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We are to set our minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. So that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. Looking and setting our minds on things above. So here in John 14, very familiar passage to us, I know. We've been here a few times too. But let's go through it. Listen again. Verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Heavenly Father, we begin, as we open up your word, we begin with the fact that we need you. For this is your word. It's not ours. We didn't write it. You did. You gave it to us to instruct us and to guide us and to support our hope and and to give us an outlook uh, that this world isn't going to offer to us. Our hearts are troubled in a world like this, but we are told not to let our hearts be troubled because we believe in You. And so, Lord, we come to You even as we begin our our time studying Your Word together and we claim, Lord, we are so dependent upon You. Guide us through this time, I pray. Help us walk carefully through it. Understand it well. Apply it in the way it should be and live appropriately, we pray. Thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for it. We love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the last few weeks that we have been uh, focusing on heaven, uh, we have given a, a an emphasis on the first few events that will take place when we get to heaven. And it's good for us to know what's on the uh, the program, right? There's been... Graduations lately, yesterday, went to a wedding. Uh, We didn't have a program for the wedding yesterday, Isaac and Angie's wedding. There wasn't a program, so uh, we just watched to see what would happen next. It was rather exciting at the very end. There were little horns going off and confetti flying in the air and all kinds of interesting things. It was a lot of fun. The unexpected was, was waiting for us. They couldn't put that in a program. But wouldn't you like to know what's going to happen in heaven? When you get there, that's what we're walking through. The first uh, few events that we are going to experience in what I call the chronological order for the church-age believer. Number one, we found this fact to be true. You will be departing this earth. All right? We know that. We have the evidence all around us anyway. Uh, it's just a reminder. Just losing your grip on the things of this world. They're not going with you, are they? And so often we just get a a pretty good grip on things of this world. The fact is, you're not staying here forever. I'm not staying here forever. Scripture says we're leaving. We're departing this world. And if things remain as they are right now, you and I will leave this world by death. It's what Scripture tells us. We know it from experience as well as we see around us. Um, It's a time when we will be separated from these bodies. The bodies return to the dust from which they are made and we ourselves go into the presence of the Lord. Do we have support for that in Scripture? Yes, we do. Especially if you don't have it memorized, work on it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. I love the way that says. Be at home with the Lord. That's the proof we have. Scripture tells itself. So, there we will be, and I believe, in some sort of heavenly body. Uh, We don't have uh, an awful lot of information on this, but one I think would be recognizable. One I think will bear the features of these physical bodies. Uh, The evidence I work with are the evidences of the appearance of Samuel the prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, After his death, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Lazarus and the rich man. We have evidence uh, given to us in many stories, especially that Lazarus and the rich man. Who told us that story? Jesus Christ did. Does he ever fib? No, he doesn't. He tells us the way things are. And he ought to know. And he told that uh, example of Lazarus and the rich man. And so I, I look at it and say, well, he said this is the way it is, so I understand it as such. Do they have eyes? Yes. Do they have fingers? Yes. Do they have tongues? Yes. He points that out in the story. So, I go with biblical evidences. We will be there. Say that we should die and we go up into heaven into the presence of the Lord. We will be there to join the Old Testament saints who are there already. We will be there with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are there already. We will worship and we will praise our Savior and we will wait, along with the rest of the groups there, we will wait for the next great event. Which is the rapture of the church. It's, it's another avenue that you may depart from this earth. You may. If the Lord comes before you die, that's when you go. You will go to be with Him. Scripture tells us, First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's our evidence right there in God's Word that Jesus Christ is coming for His church. Is that true? Absolutely true. We call it the rapture. That's the term we use. It's a Latin term. It's found in the Latin Bible, but it's a Latin term. It's the verb for being caught up. We use that term rapture. Doctrinally, we use it as the term, the title for that event. Well, when He comes... He brings with Him those who have already gone before. He will bring them with Him. It says, He will resurrect their bodies. He will change that which is perished into imperishable, that which is mortal into immortal. We who are alive will be changed as well, as we understand from Scripture, so that we can fit into a heavenly environment. These bodies won't work in heaven right now. They need to be changed. And he will change us. And he will take up his whole church. And he will gather them together in the clouds with him and transport them with him into heaven. That evidence we have in scripture too. I call it a fact. Not an opinion. Not a speculation. A fact. God's word said so. All right, We know we're going to leave. That's true. We're going to depart from this earth. Also, we have learned that when we get there, there will be a great evaluation of our service in His name. We call that the believer's judgment. The title is the Bema Seat Judgment. We studied this a couple of weeks ago, and a little bit last week too, where our works will be set before the Lord, and they will be tested. They will be tested regarding their quality. Was it good work or was it worthless work? They will be evaluated there before his throne, I believe, a public ceremony because it matches that of an award ceremony. Things that are, are valuable, that prove to bring glory to our Savior, will be rewarded. Things that prove to be not suitable, though they did not bring him glory, will be discarded. He calls it burned up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There was a question asked me last week, and it was, uh, is it possible then that we may end up there with absolutely no rewards? Yes. 1 Corinthians 3. Hold your finger here. Let me show you one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 15. 1 Corinthians 3.15 If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So is it possible that uh, uh, the works that I have done my entire life may not amount to anything in heaven? Yes, that is possible. Does that mean I get tossed out? No, it doesn't say I get tossed out, does it? Or still be there. But John tells us in his epistle that there will be some that he would rather they stand before the Lord in confidence than shrink back in shame. And I don't want to be the one to shrink back in shame because I didn't produce anything to his glory. And I don't want you to be that way either. When you stand before his throne, let's bring as much as we can to his glory. Let's do that. And I I think it's good that we think about this. Because You have already lived, many of you have lived a life of service. You have worked hard, even in this fellowship. You've been here for years and years, perhaps, and and in other places. You have served our Lord. And no doubt there will be rewards waiting for you. That's going to be wonderful to see. But if you're worried about that, if this morning you're a little concerned, I mean, like, if he called you right now, and all of a sudden, here we are in front of the Bema seat, and you say, Lord, what am I going to do? You know, maybe you're a little concerned. Get started. Today's the day you can do something for the glory of the Lord, can't you? Don't just keep piling up regrets. Get busy. If you're concerned about that, do it. That's what he's told us, and I'm glad he told us in advance. I always tell my Greek students in advance what's on the test. You know why? So that if they mess it up, it's not my fault. (laughs) No, that's not exactly it. I want them to be thoroughly prepared for the test. And I want us to be thoroughly prepared for this examination. We want to go in there to praise our Savior, don't we? So now, let's do it. Let's get busy about that work. So, uh, I think the evidence in Scripture is, is before us that the rewards we receive will have a place in the very next event for the believer, as we talked about it last week, there is the marriage of Christ in His church. Revelation 19, verse 7 and verse number 8, are the verses we camped on last week, and I repeat them to you again. Revelation 19, 7 and 8, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You hear that last phrase? That's important to me all of a sudden. It's part of the the wedding garb, if you will. The rewards. The fine works of the saints. The righteous acts of the saints turn into the, the fine, bright, and clean linen that the bride is to wear. So I see that, and I say, okay, they're related to each other. So if that's all true, then the, the uh, believer's judgment has to go before the wedding, right? That makes sense then, doesn't it? And chronologically, the wedding takes place before Jesus Christ comes the second time, at the end of the tribulation. So when does all this transpire? Sometimes during the tribulation, between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, these are the events that are going to take place. That's how I logically put these things together. So you say, okay, pastor, you've walked us through these thoughts. You put us in heaven. You walked us through the reward ceremony. You put the church in its wedding garments. Now what? What do we do? after all these things happen in heaven, and there we are waiting for the second coming of Christ, and, and, and all these events that would take place after the tribulation, what are we going to do? I'd love to ask that to 13 year olds, because they get this wonderful idea, and maybe it's our fault, or maybe it's, it's just the comics they've seen or whatever, but you sit on a cloud with a little harp, and you sit there and pick at it, and, and uh, that sounds terribly boring to them. And they say, you mean that's forever? Just sitting there picking at a harp, that's forever? Well, people do want to know, what are we going to be doing? That's what we're going to discuss here right now. Chronologically, I'm explaining to you the events for the believer as soon as we as a church are transported into heaven during the tribulation period. Alright? There will be two great things going on. On this earth, it's not great in the sense of, of wonderful, it's great in the sense of terrible. It's a tribulation period. It will be going on down here on this earth while we are up in glory going through the award ceremony and going through the marriage uh, ceremony as well. Now the questions that people raise are are varied in this regard and we're going to address some of these things. But let's remember a couple of things about this heaven we're going to spend time in. Alright? We have already seen in God's word there is a present heaven and there is a future heaven, right? We've seen that and we're going to get to that again pretty soon. But uh, we know that the present heaven, to where we will be for these ceremonies and things, it is a temporary place. It is a temporary place. It will be replaced by the new heaven. Scripture tells us that. That's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's, in its location is the throne of God. We have seen that too. Verses are numerous to support that. In its location is the true temple. Everything that's been recorded down here for a tabernacle and a temple are merely copies of the original. The original's in heaven. And we will see that as we walk through the book of Revelation how many times it refers to, and out of the temple came this, and out of the temple came that. There is a temple in heaven. It's the true temple. All right? And that, that remains to be seen. We're going to see that. That's amazing. But uh, scripture tells us that whatever is on earth, it's just merely a copy of what already exists in heaven. Now, if there's a temple there, that means it will be a place of worship, right? If there's a throne there, that means there will be a place for service to the king and to our God. Those two things are, are primarily what we will be about. We will be there for worship. We will be there as well to serve our Savior. Now, in all that, John 14, I had you there. Let's go back to it for a minute. Heaven is also described as our Father's house. Our Father's house. It's currently made up of many dwelling places. Sometimes we insert the word mansion there. I don't mind mansions so much. Uh, mansions, if you're thinking Europe... If you're thinking South Carolina, if you're thinking some place where there's an enormous structure just covered with gold and who knows what all. um, I have to tell you that the word mansion is a Latin word. It means a dwelling place. I just took a lot of the, the air out of the bubble, didn't I? It means a dwelling place. Matter of fact, it was it was understood that you went to these places if you were on a journey and you needed to stop for a rest. What would we equate that with? A motel. Does this sound really exciting? All of a sudden. In my father's house are many motels. <laughs> that, that just doesn't have the same flavor to it for some reason. Uh, a pool. <laughs> Only certain times of the season, probably. Well, here's a, here's a picture. I think it's entirely fitting for us to see it this way. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I, I long for that place. I, I just can't wait to see that place and to know. He said he's preparing it for us, right? That, that, that's super. I like that. Jesus said in verse 3, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's not creating the place, mind you. There's some mentality we have with this. Like the Lord's up there right now pounding nails and everything. He's building this mansion for us. And the minute it's done, then he says, okay, I can go get this person, and I'll go put him in this home, and then I'll go and build another mansion over here, and I'm going to go and get this person and bring him up. And I know how often we say that. Their mansion must be ready. <laughs> All right? I, that, that's comforting, yeah. But this is not he's creating these things. He's just preparing them. Another picture is that it's already in existence, and he's just getting the bed made. He's getting the things all polished and cleaned up, you know, like you would do if you had guests coming to your house. All right? That fits the word better, honestly, that he's preparing the place. Matter of fact, that's the Greek word, preparing, not creating. He's preparing the place for us. And it also reminds us that since it's the present heaven he's talking about, this is a temporary situation. So if you've got in your mind that you're working right now for this mansion, and he's going to give you this mansion, you're going to be very disappointed when he sets fire to it. And that's what he says in the book of Revelation that it will be consumed. Peter chapter 3 also says it will be consumed with fire and a new heaven and a new earth will be there. So, can I take your grip a little bit off the mansion? Alright, just a little bit. It's going to be, whatever it is, Motel 6 has nothing compared to this place. Alright? It's going to be magnificent, no doubt, because our Savior is the one who's preparing it. Alright? Alright? I, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just trying to show us. It's a temporary staying place. He's got more plans than that. There's much more that's going to go on. And that's why I, I'm walking through this with you in this fashion, is that when we get there, it's not just, boom, we're done. Now we sit in a cloud with a harp, and that's it. There's much, much more to it. And so we've got to just understand what's going to happen here. He says, this is, this is my favorite part of verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and this is key, and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. Now, another good reason why you don't need to get your grip so tight on that little mansion is because if Jesus Christ is coming down to this earth, and is He? Yes. During the millennial period, how long is He going to be here? a thousand years, are you going to be with Him? Who's going to take care of your mansion? You see? Are we going to be divided in our attention, thinking, look, you know, I I didn't turn off the furnace. Or, I left something on the stove. Or, you know, the concerns we have when we go on vacation and we think about our place back home. Is it secure? Is it safe? We won't be worrying about that because the promise is that we'll be with Him it doesn't say, notice, when you read verse number uh, uh, 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you and come again and receive you to myself, that where heaven is, there you may be also. He doesn't say that. He says, Where I am, there you may be also. Now, I'll show you how that works as well. First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17. You can see these words. We've, we've done this many times, but look at it. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, that's the other believers already gone, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be in heaven. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, just like the other verse, we will always be with the Lord. So, if He's in heaven, we're in heaven. If He leaves, we leave. If he comes down to the earth, we come down to the earth. I always had this little thing in my mind. I said, Lord, if you're going to destroy the present heaven, where am I going to stand until the next one's ready? You ever think about that? We're suspended in nothing? No, we are with the Lord. That's the promise he's made, right? That's very comforting to know. We have that all over the word. Always with the Lord. That's the key. And I want you to appreciate this key here. Always together with the Lord. Always together with the Lord. Ephesians. Let's go over there for a minute. I'm going to give you plenty of ammunition for somebody who asks you. Ephesians 2. Wonderful verses. 5, 6, and 7. Ephesians 2, 5, 6, and 7 we go back to the gospel story and what he has done for us. And it says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. You see that phrase? Together with. We've been made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up, verse number six, and raised us up with him. You see that? and seated us... What's the next two words? With Him. With Him. In the heavenly places. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us. We will be with Him. With Him. With Him. That's the emphasis of God's Word, isn't it? With Him. And that's the the primary focus... We must have what you say, well, what are we going to be doing the rest of eternity? We're with him. With him. That's not a, an occasional visit, you know, you see him down the street in heaven. Hey, there's Jesus. You walk over and talk to him for a few minutes. That's not the picture you see, is it? With him. It's what it keeps saying. With him. Pastoral moment. Ready? Here we go. Have you spent time with Jesus this morning? Have you? Have you spent time with Him this morning when you got up? Maybe during your breakfast. Maybe just after breakfast. Have you spent time with Jesus this past week? Think about it. You know. You don't have to answer me. You know yourself. Are you cultivating a regular time with your Lord? Do you talk to Him in prayer? Do you spend time in His Word and and study it? Do you... Feel the impression God's Word is making this morning. You will be with Him forever. Forever. I I want that impress upon us. I don't want heaven to be a foreign experience for any of us. Like we've got to take a, a, a thousand years to figure out what we're doing. We're not looking at a temporary home arrangement here, that we're some sort of a guest and we're just here for a short visit. We're, we're, we're not, I know, we live in a day where we buy houses and we sell houses and we move. I, I've bought three, I've sold three. Uh, you've bought homes and you've moved and you've, you've had other jobs here and there from time to time. You've moved from place to place. We all know that story. That's down here, isn't it? That's what we experience down here we we have that in in our society as a whole everywhere everything seems to be temporary doesn't it well we could we could almost cite anything let's prove it with marriages wow i mean i i I enjoyed the the marriage I watched yesterday beautiful thing, and yet at the same time, I see statistics i'm not saying anything about that i'm just saying. It's a beautiful thing when it starts. And then, you know, rough things come along and people have challenges. And, and our society doesn't know what commitment means, does it? It doesn't. And it, it's tearing up too many things. What's the promise you make in a wedding ceremony? Until death, I do part. That's, that's strong words, isn't it? Well, that's hard for some folks. Now, think again. How long will you be with Jesus? That's not a temporary thing to use the word forever, is it? How long will you be forever with Him? Forever with Him. That means we're not merely spectators when we get up there. We're participants. Where He goes, we go. We're not just visiting. We're permanent citizens of His kingdom. We're children of the Father. We're co-heirs with Christ. All these things in Scripture just come rushing at us and say, now lift up your eyes again, folks. Lift them up and set them on heavenly things. That's where our Savior sits. That's something you're going to know forever. Focus on it. Focus on it. The Bible says, live in light of who you are. Ephesians 4, verse 1. If you're in Ephesians, just flip the page. It says right there in verse 1, Therefore I, as a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Down here, we're just practicing what we're going to do there forever. How's your practicing going? That's my pastoral moment. Alright? How is your practicing going? We're going to step into glory. We're going to be with Christ forever. Together with Him. Together with Him. That's the point I want to make because I walk through this. Whatever is going on in heaven, we're going to be with Him. Now I told you that these events are happening simultaneously. The tribulation is going on down below down here on this earth. We're going to be part of what's going on up above. I've read ideas, and you have too, no doubt, about people looking down on the earth. Right? They're standing up there looking down. And what are they doing? They're watching the events of the tribulation period. They're watching the, the events as they transpire. Some suggest even that the, the believers that are gone before are now watching us. They're up there looking. They're watching us, right? Now, some people say that. Some people suggest that the believers in heaven are even praying for us as we go through things. And they're, they're doing that too. Personally, the scripture does not support that to me. I don't see evidence of any of that. Matter of fact, I've got one little argument I want to make in, in contrast to that. Why would you want to look down here when you've got a sight like Jesus Christ up there? If the wonders of heaven are before you, why are you going to want to look at this again? I don't understand why anybody would want to watch the events of the tribulation when the majesty of Jesus Christ is right before him. There's a simple picture I want you to get. And I think scripture supports this over and over and over again, and it is that we will have a singular view in heaven. A singular focus It's directed toward a throne. Let me prove it to you, alright? I keep saying the same verse, but you're going to have to learn it. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1, verse number 2, these two verses I keep saying. So, here's where you find them. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where is our focus to be? On things above, where Christ is. Where are our minds supposed to be set? On things above, where Christ is. That's what we're told to do down here on this earth. I give a lot of attention to this because we need to give a lot of attention to this. This is something we ought to do on earth because it will be something we want to do in heaven. That will be our focus on that throne where Christ is. Now walk through this this section of Revelation with me. You ready? Chapter 4. Now I'm going to tell you in advance so you don't think I'm going to trick you or surprise you or anything like this. As I read through this passage, think. Where is the focus? Where is the focus? Alright? I believe chapter 4, chapter 5, all the way through chapter 19 are the chapters that go at the same time, simultaneously as the tribulation period. We will have this. We'll have scenes in heaven, scenes on earth. Scenes in heaven, scenes on earth. Scenes in heaven, scenes on earth. All the way through chapter 4 through chapter 19. Alright? Now, chapter 4, chapter 5, seems in heaven. So, if this is true, and I told you this, we will be there, so let's look at the program and see what's going to happen. Okay? If we're going to be there, what are we going to be doing? Chapter 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of the trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he was sitting there, was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like the emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like the lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature like the face of a man. And the fourth creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Fascinating creatures, huh? Go home and draw a picture. Just for fun. That would be a great thing to try. But notice, they, without ceasing, I, I emphasize this, without ceasing, day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. Verse 9, and, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him. Who lives forever and ever, and they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, "Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they were they exist and were created. What a powerful scene! What a powerful scene! Where's the emphasis? Is it not on a throne? The one who sits on the throne, the focus is on that throne.
1: All those,
0: those other beings up there are focused on, those, on that throne. Are we going to be participants? Focus on the throne. Alright? That's a fascinating picture. Now, we say, okay, who's sitting on the throne? Somebody's sitting on that throne. Who's sitting on the throne? I'll give you a clue before we go on. It's the Father. Right? How do I know that? Well, chapter 5. This is where it kicks in next. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep, gre- weep greatly. Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah and the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the thrones and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Alright, you've got it? The Father's at his throne. He's got the book. And the question is, who's going to open the book? Who has the authority to open that book? And they're scanning heaven, and no one is there. Not even you and me that can do it. And we might just be like John there, and we start bawling our eyes out, thinking, oh no, we're never going to know what's in that book. And the elder says, stop crying. Stop crying. Look again. And there standing next to that throne is the Lamb. The Lamb. Let's go through the picture. You ready? A lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp, and there it is, the harp. We knew we'd find it. "...each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, "...Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth." Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The numbers of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and the sea And all things in them, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion for ever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, "Amen." And the elders fell down and worshipped. All right, practice time for you. This little song that was just told to us in verse number twelve and also in verse number thirteen, you ought to memorize. Because you're going to be singing it too. Make sure you get the words in order. Blessing, then honor, then glory, then dominion. Sometimes when I memorize things, it's hard to remember. What's the order? I know all those words are in there somewhere. Glory, dominion, power, honor, uh, what else? You, You start going through the list and say, what's the order? These are the words that we will be sharing together before that throne. Giving praise to who? Him. You see the focus again? Where's the focus in all these things? It goes right back to where the attention ought to be. The throne. Where God is. Where the lamb stands. He begins to break the seals. All the picture just keeps it going. It's incredible. We're going to go into chapter 6 and on next week. But I I just bring all this before you to say this. Um, We're looking at... The powerful scene of heaven. The focus of things in heaven. I want you to be excited about this. What do you think heaven is for? If you ask that question to the average person on the street, and say, what is heaven for? Now, it's true. A vast majority of of religions hold to some sort of an afterlife. And their concept of what they call heaven is self-centered, it is self-satisfying, it's self-gratifying, it's self-glorifying, it's, uh, it's such a focus on self. If you look at their opinions, all of it is about what they're going to get out of heaven, what they're going to get. And I'm afraid that's working its way into church teaching, too. We have become so man-centered in our teachings and in our focus, that when I read this passage, I see, where's man in all this? He's on His face before a throne. Who's got the focus? People say, well, what are we going to do for all these years? I know what we're going to do. We're going to be focused on the throne and worshiping our Savior. That ought to excite us. That's what heaven is for. That's what this place will be. That He gets the glory, because He deserves the glory. The focus is not on me. It's on Him. Can we appreciate that? Can we think that way? This is why I I said, set your eyes on things above. Not on things of this earth. Not on you. On Him. Set your mind on things above. And then ask the question, like I did last week. Now, how are you going to live the rest of this day? How are you going to live the rest of this week? Where's your focus going to be? What are you going to do? For some of you, I I still, because we have opportunity, I ask you this. Do you know you're going to spend eternity with Him? Scripture tells us how you can come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'd love to share that with you again. If you want to know Christ as your Savior, even during our closing time, just come on down here. I'll talk to you. We'll pray with you. You want to receive Christ? You can receive Him right where you are too. Just call out to Him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's His promise. And with that promise comes these things that we've been talking about. I want you to be part of it. That means you need to know Christ as Savior. The rest of John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. So I hope that you know Him as your Savior. And if you don't, I'll talk to you about that. Or grab somebody sitting right next to you and say, tell me more. Let's talk to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. It's merely practice, Lord. Someday we'll bow before you. and What a joy that will be. When our, our knees bow and our tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord... I pray, Lord, it comes from the experience of saying it and doing it, and not a strange experience for us. But we have your word before us, and we are told what we're going to be doing, and I pray that we might already get that uh, set in our hearts and minds, and also in the practices of our life. You have blessed us, Lord, with time here on this earth, but this time is temporary. You have promised that we will be with you forever, And that is forever. Help us to keep our focus correct. Help us to keep our eyes set on You. And Lord, You know every heart in this room today, what challenges they're going through, what challenges lie ahead this week. We thank You that You are a sovereign God, a faithful God, a loving God. And we count on that. We have in Your Word Your promises. If there's somebody here today who needs to know You, draw them to Yourself, we pray. Use us as a tool if you see fit. But in all, we want to bring you honor and glory with this day, and with this week, and with these lives. And we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.